a million dollars, you could hire one admin FTE for many, 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 $100,000, 50 grand on one FTE, 50 grand on a website, promoting the entire region for, for years, right? Welcome to episode 404 of Bruce News Week, recorded on Thursday, the 2nd of February, 2023. I'm joined today by my fellow co-host, Matt Kirkgaard. <laughs> Morning, Matt. Because we don't spend enough time together, Sabrina. I've been saying, look, we just really should do this more often. We should get on radio. So, um, dear listener, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, Matt and I spent five hours live on the podcast uh, on radio on Saturday um, announcing the Gab's Hottest 100 countdown. Um, and so today we're going to have a bit of a condensed day of news, which we hope means that you've got time to go back into your Radio Brews News channel and either give it a listen to the countdown or listen to some of the great interviews that we did in the lead up to the countdown. So as I'm sure all of you know by now, Mountain Culture took out number one, Bolter XBA number two and Crankshaft number three. Uh, we had 311 breweries participating up from last year and 60,000 people voted. So all in all, it was a big day. Lots of chat about it. Obviously, lots more dissection to come, but you and I have... Um, have done our dash talking about the hottest one. There is a lot, and it's interesting to see some of the stuff that's coming out. So, yeah, um, there there are a couple of questions, a couple of good questions. Um, Now, the the, the one that I'd like to answer in the podcast is there's been a lot of people, again, asking when do the secondary lists come out, and that's this weekend from memory. Um, Yep, the February 4th. February 4th. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that, that's clearly something that people like to see sooner after. Um, and yep, so much to talk talk about that I think in, you know, over the next year, um, the campaigning efforts and costs, uh, ginger beer um, is a really, really yeah, interesting huge one. one. Um, and, yeah, so, so we'll see where that goes. But let's uh, talk about the other news of the week because there has been, been some fairly significant things this week. Last week we talked about Lion announcing its decision to close uh, the Bogues Tourism Centre. Um, soon after we recorded last week, the government, uh, in fact, it was on Australia Day, on, on the quiet day, uh, Australia Day, the government <laughs> uh, announced a million dollar grant to reopen um, or uh, of support to reopen the Bogue Centre. Um, and the headline reads, the promise of a million dollar support package from the Tasmanian state government has seen Lyon reverse its decision to close the James Bogue Visitor Centre in Launceston. Lyon announced the closure of the tourist facility the week before, citing COVID-19 impacts, rising costs and the overall decline in beer consumption. What they didn't say in their announcement is that they just had shown the brand no love whatsoever. I think there'd been three or four posts over the previous three or four years, which would indicate that they're not particularly serious about the brand. Um, At the time, the uh, local uh, premier, the state premier, uh, said it's not only a local cultural icon, but a vital part of the local northern economy, attracting thousands of visitors a year. The unique experience it offers has been a significant drawcard for Launceston. Um, The funding will be used for marketing strategy to promote the tour to interstate travellers. Now, the interesting thing about this for me, uh, again, you've got a company that in the last year that results were published, given that they don't publish their results in Australia, they made $2.8 billion down from $3.2 billion. So clearly Lion is 
doing it very, very tough compared to CUB. I've heard a lot of people in the industry saying all of the momentum is with CUB and they're looking where they can cut costs. Matt, they will lie in results published overseas, not rolled up sort of group results for... Well, no, no. So, so these weren't lion results published overseas. These were according to the Australian government's corporate tax transparency. Um, and Got it. in Thank 2021, uh, the tax transparency results showed they had revenues of $2.8 billion, but they did not pay tax. So clearly, right. <laughs> you know, clearly they're doing it tough um, because they haven't declared uh, profit in Australia. Yeah. You know, again, there, there's so much about this. And I know that tourism is your, um, you yep. know... Uh, hot point. So I'll leave that one to you. Um, but the interesting thing for me is, firstly, in Lion's defence, these things don't happen in a vacuum. They have teams inside the company that this would not have come as a surprise to the uh, Tasmanian government. So to some extent, I suspect that the Tasmanian government has been caught on the back foot by yep. the backlash um, and has thrown Lion under the bus. But on the other thing, as we said last time, $2.8 billion company can't find a million dollars. This, and my understanding is that the brewery has, the tours have one full-time and 11 part-time staff. So it's not even 12 staff that they've talked about. Very important jobs for those 12 people. I don't minimise that. But a million dollars, as when I dug into the story uh, seven years ago, the Tasmanian government gave $250,000 to whoever to create a Tasmanian brewery trail. The last time a media release or an announcement was published to that Tasmanian brewery trail was 2018. So that quarter of a million dollars I spent it just was wasted. There was a it's, it's, it's not updated, it's not being used efficiently. And that was to benefit all of the Tasmanian brewers, including Bogues. Bogues is not investing in their own brand, and yet the government has seen fit to give a million dollars to one company. And as uh, Sam Reid said, you know they employ thirty-five. Um, the vast majority of those are full-time. You, you would think that if this Sam brand Reed from was Duquesne. Sam Reid from Duquesne Brewing, and and you'd think you know he made what I think was one of the best points. You know this should be your flagship. If, if you're serious about the brand and about developing your brand, just as the Guinness uh, facility is in Ireland, you, you have a touch point, a place that people can experience a brand. Yeah. And, be, and, and this is how little that they value their own brands. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's my take on it. The point that Kyla Lethbridge from the CEO made, which is any investment in beer tourism is a positive investment, I think that is true. However, that million dollars, to your point, $250,000 to get the North Tasmanian Trail across. No, that was a whole of Tasmanian Trail. A million dollars, you could hire one admin FTE for many, 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 $100,000, 50 grand on one FTE, 50 grand on a website, promoting the entire region for, for years, right? And that would have, and that is the point. That's why some of these trails don't happen, is because there aren't the resources to do it. What would have been smart by Lion, quite frankly, subsequent to this announcement, would be to say, of the marketing spend that we're going to do, we are going to work with other local breweries because we accept that beer tourism, getting people to this location is important. And so to me, I just think. I mean, it seems to have been bungled on all sides by everyone. Um, and But there's a million bucks now sitting there. Let's hope 
that the broader beer industry can leverage this, either be it through this actual million dollars or into saying we'd like that matched, thanks very much, uh, Tasmanian government? How can we leverage this into um, supporting tourism more broadly? So, I mean, I agree. All the points you made about Bogues, investment, lack of understanding of where it fit, all, all of those things, um, you know, Lion maybe has had a wake-up call. Yeah, I mean, yeah. come I, on. I, I, I think apart from that particular story, and 100% right with you, Sabrina, I, I think the most interesting thing about this story is Lion is chopping. Lion is chopping. And if they for, for the damage that this did um, to their brand and the business – there's been a lot of discussion recently about layoffs in the tech industry and things like that. And on one hand, it's always sold as we're overblown or we're spending too much money. But then the discussion comes back to if you're – most businesses have, have fat that you can cut, but when you're cutting back things that are actually core to your business or you're cutting back too far that you can't do your business well, then – that's bad for business. And, uh, you know, this is an example of where Lion isn't pruning, um, you know, for growth. They're actually cutting back to dead wood and you, nothing buds from dead wood um, to, to, you know, so if, if, if they're under that much pressure that whatever small savings they make um, from this, from, from not running these tours, makes a difference to their balance sheet or to their business, you can really tell that Lion is struggling. You can, and I don't want to go down a hottest 100 rabbit hole, but one of the standouts <laughs> yeah. for me was all of the Lion individual brands and beers that actually made it into that hottest 100 were really surprising. Some of those outcomes, the Kosciuszko, the White Rabbit. So I looked at that and went, wow, there are these followings for these esoteric Lion brands that would never even hit my radar. And yet here in a vote for the top 100 beers in the country, they are making that list. That to me said something about following clearly that doesn't say anything. It You can be a sexy hot beer and not necessarily be pulling in the amount of revenue that you need uh, f- for a business. So I, f- I just think it's really interesting. Lion's got some huge business decisions that they have to make because yeah. you know, for a long time they were on the ascendancy. CUB had some, you know, potentially bought too many breweries, but um, Bolter goes from strength to strength. Um, it's everywhere um, these days. Four Pines, not necessarily for the Four Pines, Four Pines beer brands, but the um, ginger beer brands, the uh, Brookvale Union brands oh, yeah, um, have, have, have done a lot. You know, we, 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 we yet to see too much out of Stone and Wood. The, the purchase of Stone yeah. and Wood ended up being a defensive play. It, it stopped the bleeding from their tap contracts and things like that to some extent rather than actually seeing a meaningful growth to the business. But speaking of a brand in its ascendancy, Matt, uh, <laughs> do you know anyone who could help? Well, if you want to put your brand into the ascendancy, a business that is ascendant is uh, is Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. Um, they, if, if you want to, if you think your tins need a bit of a zhuzhi up or your bottles or your packaging, if next year as the hottest hundred rolls around, you've got a couple of pallets of beer that are due to go out the door that you haven't put 
how to vote stickers on. One of the big discussions this year was uh, QR codes on, on the back of the beer. Rallings label stickers and packaging can help you. Uh, the guys at Rallings label stickers and packaging can be called on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can make your brand sing. And uh, Brad from Rallings seemed to be singing. I'd, I'm not sure whether he was in the know. We certainly weren't in the know, but he happened to be at Mountain Culture on Saturday having a beer there. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe he go, knew something. So, But anyway, another brand in the ascendant, Sabrina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Growth for Mighty Craft despite decline in craft beer. Uh, and this was a really interesting um, pickup from Vivian, our journalist, Matt. Yeah, no, uh, Vivian sat in on the uh, investor call. One that we follow very closely for a variety of reasons, but the ASX-listed Mighty Craft has reported strong revenue growth despite also reporting a decline in off-premise craft beer sales in its second quarter results. The drinks company reported $31.21 million in unaudited group revenue for the second quarter, an increase of 91% versus the prior corresponding period. Of course, I don't think the prior chorus, I think the prior corresponding period was the first that would have included better beer and whilst it was quick out of the box it was nothing like it is now it also reported a positive net cash of six hundred thousand dollars to 6.3 million which was the company's first positive operating cash result since listing in december 2019 Uh, most of the company's growth came from its unicorn better beer which has reportedly continued its growth trajectory recording 3.2 million liters sold for the second quarter alone which i think puts it well on track for that 10 million that they were aiming for Yes, uh, and the, the source of volume of better beer is very much coming from mainstream beer, Mighty Craft Chief Executive and Managing Director Mark Hazeman said during an investor webinar. So really that could be anything from Han Super Dry to Great Northern to Corona to Carlton Dry. So um, again, not, not tagging it back to the Hottest 100. Is it a mainstream beer? Does it belong in the Hottest 100 craft beers? Or, you know, and we, we asked that uh, question of Mike on the, uh, on the podcast. Um, but look, it's talking about beer. The, uh, sorry, the, the, the one thing I will say that wasn't in, in our notes is I did ask, none of the growth is coming from its craft beer acquisitions. That we, we don't know, but given the Mighty the list, Crafts Mighty craft crafts, beer acquisitions. Yeah, so, yep. so they are still very much, uh, you know, Mighty Craft is a better beer, is the tentpole for the organisation. They do seem to be getting some traction with spirits, but then a lot of their focus is on the whiskey under maturation that, you know, we've seen some disastrous whiskey companies that talk about the amount amount that they've got and then things go wrong. But the the interesting thing for me is that Mighty Craft is the, you know, has a 10% share in ballistic beer, um, which ended voluntary liquidation. Vivian asked about that and Mark Hazeman, and I'll read this out, during the investor webinar, Hazeman acknowledged the announcement of Ballistic Beer's administration and confirmed that it was not a priority brand for the accelerator. We see it as an exception and a one-off for us in terms of the financial health of that business, he said. They've been put into voluntary administration, so we'll do our best to support where we can, bearing in mind that they gave them no support during the Hottest 100 countdown or, you know, <laughs> even being yeah, mentioned in their annual report. Yep. Um, but they'll do that work and hopefully bring the business back uh, in March. Hazeman chose to focus on Ballistic's product recall in September as having an impact on the business. They did have a product recall late in the first quarter, which certainly had an impact, which is they found it hard to recover from in the short term. We've invested around $2 million into that, and we will look at taking a provision against that in the first half. This story just reconfirms what has you know, um, Mighty Craft is d- 
does not function as an accelerator for small craft brands. Um, it is a fundamentally different business to the one that we thought it was going to be when they set up or what the intentions of the founders were. Um, but it has um, off the back of better beer um, and who's to know who gets uh, all of the, who has done the work behind the scenes. Is it Mighty Craft? Is it the Inspired Unemployed? Or is it um, Torquay Beverages and Nick Cogger? Um, who, who's done the lion's share of the work? But certainly were it not for better beer, Mighty Craft would be close to non-existent. They, they, well, they certainly wouldn't have a yeah. They, they wouldn't have much of a business. Um, it would be all the future hope of spirits. But and I was thinking about this as as we mentioned it. Their ownership of better beer is fifty. Like they're no, not majority. It's fifty one percent. I think it was around about thirty seven, thirty eight percent from memory. Go back and listen to the podcast. But they also get a because they do the distribution because of the way the the, the internal servicing that they do. They even though they've only got a third of the share or just over a third of the share, they've got more than fifty percent of the revenues, I believe. Yeah, but I guess where I was at was um, if you've got a thirty-eight percent share, um, you don't have a controlling share, which means um, better beer and whoever has all of the control in better beer can still go elsewhere. Well, the focus on better beer, yeah. Well, um, they can buy them back. They they can buy them out. Somebody could buy them out, um, and where does that leave Mighty Craft with a portfolio without a revenue driver? Well, Mighty Craft is using this as a you know, hey, look over here for the ASX um, to you know, and it's increasingly what people are talking about in terms of the value for Mighty Craft. Um, yeah, projecting a sale of that brand, um, which. You know, you'd have to be. Um, but what what would be interesting though is, I mean, I guess I would be extraordinarily concerned if I was Mighty Craft, um, because what is left? You sell that, you you cashed up. What are you going to do with that cash? You're okay, going to create well, another unicorn. Let me posit. Well, that you only need one unicorn. You know, like Stone and Wood, twenty million liter business ish, maybe a little bit more when they sold sold for half a billion dollars and that was after 12 years of um, hard graft better beer has you know crashed through 10 million liters in year one um it's got mainstream attraction it's drawing drinkers from the mainstream it could be a 20 million liter brand it could be a stone and wood size brand at the end of two years if they make half a billion dollars selling it um although again might there's 125 million dollars um but what's yeah what would Mitercraft do next? So that's my question. I'm not suggesting for the uh, other owners and the majority owners and the people who created it and all of that. I mean, great, sell out, sell, make shitloads of money. That's a great outcome for you. But what would ASX listed with multiple shareholders do with that cash injection? Yeah. I mean, they're not because we don't know what their business is. Did you wind up and give it back to the shareholders or...? Exactly right. What do you go like shitloads of dividends because we actually don't know what we do because we certainly don't accelerate, right? You make a great point because the the reason I'm so interested in Mighty Craft and you know and, and listen up anyone that's planning a brewery. The reason I am interested in Mighty Craft is there was this business that came with a whole lot of you know skilled, 
highly confident, brackets I would say overconfident, people about their ability to take small craft breweries to scale and they've failed, you know, on, and, and again, failure is fine. It's not a, that, that's not a criticism, but they have not managed to scale any of the brands that they've bought to a meaningful size, despite millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue and a lot of very highly paid staff with experience in the background. Um, there's probably reasons for that, but the, the number one takeaway is making a brand scale is incredibly, incredibly hard. So if you're planning on going national for anything, um, just look to Mighty Craft. That's what those financials said to me, What yep. right? Our entire business is better beer and everything else is a maybe plug on. Uh, next in news, which is just a short one, Matt, um, uh, the Brewing Industry New Zealand report. Yeah, um, Brewing in New Zealand report only came in this morning. We haven't had a chance to really digest it, um, but there was a similar one from the Australian uh, Brewers Association last year looking at the economic modelling for the value that beer brings in. Um, Very important at the moment as brewers are being hit with a whole lot of whammies, not just inflation that everyone is, um, the importance of these industries um, uh, to it. And some of the findings show that in New Zealand, uh, the brewing industry contributes significantly to the economy and generates close to $900 million in revenue for the government. That's just revenue for the government, you know, filling in potholes. How do they do it in New Zealand? I'd imagine they'd have local councils that do that, not the federal government. But anyway, um, (laughs) the study reveals that New Zealand brewing industry was worth $3.3 billion in the year to September 2022. Go read the report. It's it's very interesting about how important and why governments should possibly not just look at breweries as an an excise cash cow, but the flow and effects through um, agriculture, through employment, through regional development, tourism, all of those things. So this report has been going on for many years. It's funded in part by the Brewers Association, but NZIR are independent. This number was $3 billion a few years ago. It's now $3.3 billion. It's tracking upwards. I think the important part is um, it really focuses on the grain-to-glass supply chain. So it talks about brewing as part of that um, overall uh, cycle. And I think it's so important to have this data and these numbers to be able to communicate with government. So, um, you know, it's great that it's out there. Nice little story. One of our follow-ups, uh, Lessons Learned, Two Mates Brewing. They opened uh, about 18 months ago just before the floods, um, you know, having COVID come along and then the floods. Um, so really nice uh story looking at what they've learned. Um, Andrew Newton and Grant Smith launched a GoFundMe campaign while the community rallied to help rebuild a brewery that at the time was still in its infancy. Now, almost 12 months on from that disaster, they talked about it was a tough but eye-opening journey. And uh, look, go read that um, chat because business is about resilience. Business is about meeting the unpredictable and the unplanned and all business is tough. And these guys have taken it on. uh, And, you know, it was just a really nice little um, story. Can I tell you what I thought was fascinating about this story, Matt, in a broader context? Um, They've basically said, we think our site is flood prone. We don't think we can brew here. We shouldn't have our production facility here. We need to move it. But 
We want to be a small brewery from the northern rivers. We're a community hub. We want to be all of those things. So how do we square the circle on moving our production facility away but keep everything that makes our brand and our business? And I just thought when you think about the different models that breweries are using these days with a production facility, a couple of tap houses and and maintaining the essence of who you are because as you and I have discussed at length, as you scale it and you move away from what brought you to that business in the first place, uh, it, it dilutes it a little bit. And so I just think this was really interesting. It touches on all sorts of aspects of society around climate change, future-proofing, resilience in business, but it really hits on that core issue of craft beer of how do we be a business by addressing some of these issues that have come up and maintain our soul. And so I think that, to me, I, I would encourage anyone to read it and really think about that question. No, really, really good point. And, you know, that's to, to open the tent flap for Brewers News. We can't cover everything. We don't want to cover everything with 600-odd breweries. And when we do cover something, it tends to be because there is some thinking that we think other businesses can learn from, and that's exactly what you've uh, identified there. Um, another little breaking news story this morning that we haven't had a chance to really digest. Uh, you'll see it on the website, no doubt. Um, VB has partnered with Jimmy Brings to create a fridge magnet that is a button that Bluetooths into the Jimmy Brings app on your phone. You go to your fridge, no VB in the fridge. You panic, tap the button twice, they will deliver it to you in an hour, um, you know, as Jimmy Brings does. There's a whole lot of other stuff. It's apparently one of the biggest brands on Jimmy Brings. Um, on one hand, you know, it's 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 a bit of self promotion, but again, the the thinking behind this, there, this is something that uh, is quite a clever use of technology. People are increasingly buying online. How do you become the brand that they buy online? This is a really clever little integration um we are looking into it and we can't report back yet um about you know the safeguards to make sure that your five-year-old can't double press it and suddenly get uh and it seems to go through the jimmy brings app which has those safeguards no doubt it'll be criticized but again just a nice little insight when so many people are vying for attention in the online marketplace this is an example of where both Jimmy Brings and VB have looked at how they can cut through um, and and stand out. So uh, that's always something that is worth um, not aping, but learning from. You know, the, the thinking. I mean, you know that I love sort of these concepts of how does the beer world and the tech world converge at a time when we are increasingly online, um, and. and and, you know, at a, at a rolled-up level, what does that mean for the way that we're going to function as a society? And I just think this is really fascinating. Um, and with everything like this that is genuinely kind of innovative, it's going to push the boundaries on the regulation, the marketing, the ABAC, all of those questions that I know um, you and Viv are digging into. So it's going to be really interesting. We don't have the answers for that, but, yeah, you, you, you're right. It's a clever, it, it's a, it's a clever idea. Great story for VB. Um, in other news, Matt, you obviously had your Beer as a Conversation uh, that was published this week with Jess Walker and Dennis DeBoer from White Bay Beer Co. Great chat with those guys. Interesting. I mean, we've been wanting to follow them up. You know, 
it's got a little bit of pivot. It's got a little bit of, um, you know, relationship. How do you manage, you know, when you're a husband, or husband and wife working on the brew floor um, and have to go home at the end of the day? Um, you know, as as uh, as you and I know, Sabrina, you know, testy words can be exchanged. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but yet when you have to go home and you then cook dinner. You've still got to put out a cracking lager, right? Yeah. You've still, still got to get out a cracking lager. Um, yeah, so re- really nice chat. Go and have a listen. Uh, you know, it was, again, I, I'm sure you'll hear the enjoyment that I had, uh, had doing it. Yeah, now the Brewery of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Just before we went to air, got an email Bluestone yeast release range of locally produced 120 milliliter live yeast packs for Australasian home brewers. And I know we have a lot of Australasian home brewers and the numbers are the same. So whether you want yeast for your brewery and they can give you that much or you want a smaller amount, uh, you can find out about it. There will be a media release up on Brews News. Um, so it's literally just come in. But if you are a home brewer that wants to find out how you can get your hands on some of this great Bluestone yeast that you've been hearing about in these breweries of the week conversation. Jump on the Brews News uh, announcements uh, section and you'll find all about it. Or you could just cut through all of that and email them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast and home brewing. Well, Matt, since you and I were in Canberra last uh, weekend, it only makes sense to talk about um, one of the two breweries. Obviously, we didn't have time to get to many. Um, spent a bit of time at Bent Spoke uh, downtown venue, so not out at the brewery, mm-hmm. but at the, um, brew, the brew house that Tracy brews at. Um, but we went to Capital Brewing. I just wanted to give a shout-out. We were driving there, and I know for those listeners that have been there, I was sort of not paying that much attention and then all of a sudden we're next to an auto wreckers yard and I sort of said, I said to, the, <laughs> uh, to the driver, like, where are we? Are we here? Like, Breweries are in industrial locations. Um, it, but it was truly, I was sort of a little disorientated and then you sort of look over to the other side of the road and sort of out emerges lawns with children on them, food trucks, everybody having a great time. It's Friday afternoon. So these are people that haven't sort of stumbled, walked from their local brewery, come out of office. These are people who've made the effort to come out to this venue. Uh, And it was all things that we want a brewery to be. Um, The stainless was shiny and on show. The service was great. Shout out to um, venue manager there, Steve, who um, showed us around and took some photos. Um, All in all, just a really lovely experience. The staff were highly engaged, all sorts of different people there. And so, you know, if you can, we mentioned it on the podcast on Saturday, there are some other smaller breweries that I would have loved to have had time to get to. But if you haven't been to Canberra since you were on a um, school trip or a school ski trip 20 years ago, or, or maybe less for others, um, it's well worth getting out to see um, Capital and Bentspoke and, and beer in Canberra. Here, here. It, it was a welcoming experience, not, not, not just because we knew the people who owned it or anything like that, you just saw the demographic, which is the demographic that just makes my heart fill with joy when I see the people that are embracing that experience. You know, it was yep, a diverse, agreed. interesting, and just everything that a brewery pub should be and they make great beer as their five entries in the uh, hottest 100 showed so uh no completely agree well done capital 
Now, Matt, um, we probably are winding up because we won't have time. So maybe we'll um, park this for next week. Um, just a, some great discussions in the Radio Brews News Group. Keep them coming. Um, they're not off our radar. We'll just find time to bring them in. And so with that, um, quick update on the news. Um, that wraps up uh, this week's news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, and Matt Kierkegaard. The show has been produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thanks Rallings Labels, Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone News for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all to your contributions by email, text, phone and in the Radio Brews News group. We would really appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple or Spotify to help more folks in the brewing industry find the show. Chat next week. We're out. Thank you.